Well, I wonder if you've noticed that in life, the things that we tend to invest our confidence in tend to pay us back by letting us down. So if you were almost late for church this morning because you were holding out hope that France was going to beat Argentina in the World Cup, sorry, it did not happen. And the few of you who are actually watching that game understand. For me, when it comes to sports, I've been a lifelong Charger fan. So Chargers play the only football that Americans care about, American football. Chargers, back in 2006, were the best team in football. They had the best record, and they had this stellar cast. They had this young, up-and-coming quarterback named Philip Rivers. They had the most accurate field goal kicker in all of football, Nate Kading. And they were what seemed like on their way to the Super Bowl. It just seemed like that was their only destination. So in 2006, at their first playoff game, I dutifully went down to San Diego and went to the game. I got all dressed up, painted my face, and was ready to cheer on the Chargers, defeating the New England Patriots, who everyone hates. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you probably already know where this is going. We thought this was our year until it wasn't. And, And the Chargers don't just lose they lose in style. They had the lead, and then one of our guys dropped the punt that was kicked to them, fumbled it right back to the Patriots, who went down and scored. And then it's fourth down for the Patriots, and if you know football, on fourth down, you kick a field goal, or you punt, or you go for it. Well, the the Patriots went for it. They needed to. They were losing. So Tom Brady throws the ball. We intercept it on fourth down, We start running it back, and we fumble the ball back to them. They get a new set of downs, and they score. And then to top it all off, at the very end of the game, when the most accurate field goal kicker in all of football had the chance to tie the game, he missed. It broke my heart. I was devastated. I mean, I was 18, so I was devastated. The things that we tend to invest our hope in, our confidence in, do a really good job at paying us back by letting us down. It's not always just quaint examples like sports, and yes, sports examples are quaint. Whether it's people or politics or sports, the things that we invest our confidence in in this world tend to pay us back by letting us down. There's not one thing in this world and in our lives that will not leave us disappointed. See, we never have enough money. Our spouses never love us enough. Our kids are never obedient enough. Our own lives never turn out how we wanted them to turn out. We let ourselves down all the time. Exhibit A, January 15th, when all of us throw away our New Year's resolutions. See, what this tells us is that we need a hope. We need a confidence that is outside of ourselves, something that's beyond ourselves. And and it reminds me of that that great C.S. Lewis quote. And he, He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, our confidence cannot be in the things that this world offers. It has to be otherworldly. It has to be in something else. And what the the message of Christmas tells us 
is it's actually someone else. It's someone else that we put our confidence in. And that someone else is the Lord because he has proven himself good and trustworthy and an investment that we know will always pay us back a hundredfold. We know our confidence can be placed in the Lord because he sent a savior that lit the way for us to know him. And that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be considering this from Luke 2, 29 through 32. We're going to be considering the Savior that God has sent. And, and, and what, the, what my argument for us this morning is, is that we need to be confident in God's Savior because he is the light and glory for all people. Place your confidence in God's Savior because he is the light and glory for for all people. We're going to be considering that from Luke 2, verses 29 through 32. That's going to be found, if you're using the Pew Bible, on page 832. Let me go ahead and read that for us. But I'm going to start back all the way back in verse 21. And our first point for us this morning is just one word, confidence. Okay, let's read, starting in verse 21, all the way through verse 32. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So we have arrived at the final song of the opening two chapters. And and at this point, we have actually already had three prophetic words in the book of Luke. We first heard from Mary and Zechariah in their long songs, and even Elizabeth gives us this prophetic word about Jesus. We've had angels appear and sing a song, and now we get to this last section recorded by Luke, and as if we haven't been overwhelmed by enough prophetic word and angels, After 400 years of silence, Luke is going to give us two more prophetic words. But before we get there, but before we get to Simeon's prophetic words, Luke shows us why and how Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Chip prayed this morning in his prayer about how Jesus kept the law, right? Jesus kept the whole law. And what Luke is going to do here in those initial verses, 22 through 24, is show how even Jesus' parents kept the law. 
They, they made sure that he was raised in the law of the Lord. And the whole section, we didn't read the whole section yet, but this whole section that we're looking at ends in verse 39. And it ends by Luke reminding us and ending the section by saying, Joseph and Mary did everything required by the law of the Lord, and then they returned to Galilee. So Luke is trying to show us that Jesus' parents were very much concerned about how he was raised and that he would be obedient to the law. Well, and he also wants, to know, wants us to know why his parents are on their way to Jerusalem. So with Jesus now on his way to Jerusalem, after Mary had been purified, done her 40 days of purification, we get to see Simeon. And, and, and here's what we're given about Simeon. We're, we're not actually given much. Nothing, we, get, we get nothing about Simeon's family, about his line, about what clan he's part of. What we're given about Simeon is insight into Simeon's character. Simeon is righteous and devout. And now we've only been told so far in the book of Luke about one other righteous person. And if you remember, it was Zechariah back in chapter 1 of Luke. Zechariah was described as righteous. And Zechariah was righteous because of his blameless observance of all the Lord's commands and decrees. See, Simeon is righteous. He follows the Lord's commands and decrees. Simeon is also devout. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay, that could be kind of confusing. What, what, what is the consolation of Israel? Well, just hold your finger right there and then look all the way down the page to verse 36. We're just going to skip ahead for a second here. I want us to see Anna. We're not going to talk much about Anna this morning, but this is a helpful, this will enlighten us to better understand Simeon. Anna is described as a prophet. She's from the tribe of Asher. And what Anna does is she prophesies. She prophesies in verse 38. So what Luke is trying to show us is that this whole section is sandwiched between two testimonies about two prophets, testimony about Jesus. And in verse 38, what Anna is prophesying about is she's prophesying about the child to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Consolation of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem. We have our sandwich here about who Jesus is and about what he's going to do with two prophets proclaiming that the redemption and the consolation of Israel is coming. Now back to Simeon. We're told in verse 25 that he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And the Holy Spirit actively is revealing to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. See, neither Simeon's righteousness nor Simeon's devoutness would bring him into a knowledge of who the Lord's Messiah would be. It was that he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And the Spirit revealed these things to him. What we see, we see this in verse 27. It seems like Simeon is just hanging out in Jerusalem, you know, at the local Chick-fil-A. And he was moved by the Spirit. I got to go up into the temple courts. I don't know if it was like an old school liver quiver, if you're familiar with what those are. And when Simeon comes into the temple courts, he comes face to face with Jesus. And this leads to Simeon's song. And now, now, I don't know what you've learned about Simeon growing up. But honestly, what Simeon looks like to me from studying this passage is he's just a regular Joe. He's not a priest in the temple. 
He doesn't appear to be very memorable. Like I said, all, we, all we're told is Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. But for this very important prophetic role that Simeon plays, Simeon is led by the Spirit into the temple. He takes Jesus into his arms, and he praised God. Look again at verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And if you have any other translation of Scripture, they're going to translate it better. Because what they're going to pick up on is that when Simeon picks up the child, when he picks up Jesus, it's almost like he's exclaiming, now, that's the word that's used, now you have come. Lord, now you are here. It's meant to remind us of the angels that today a Savior has been born. Now you are here. Simeon is declaring the arrival of the promises of God, just as the angels declared to the shepherds. For Simeon, what this meant is that he could depart in peace. He was ready to go home and to be with the Lord because the Lord had proven his faithfulness. And here's what we're not told. We don't know how long Simeon waited on the Lord. We don't know if Simeon struggled with doubt. We don't know how old he was. But what we know is that Simeon's confidence was in the Lord. For when God fulfilled his promise to him, Simeon knew that his purpose, the reason that he had come, the reason that the Holy Spirit had come upon him, had been fulfilled. He was ready to go and die in peace. And church, I wonder today if you have the confidence of Simeon. Or is this one of those frustrating stories? Because maybe you feel a bit of jealousy towards Simeon. Surely, of course, Simeon was confident because look at how it all came about. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He had some type of revelational experience and he held Jesus in his arms. Maybe if I had the same experience, then, then I would have the confidence of Simeon. But why was Simeon confident? You can look again at the passage. He, he doesn't say anything about because he's holding the baby Jesus. No, he says, because you fulfilled your promises to me. His confidence is in the promises of God. The Lord revealed to Simeon the Messiah just as he said he would. Okay, so let's move that to today. What is the source of our confidence? Brothers and sisters, Simeon saw but a very large tree in the midst of a great forest. And yet now you and I stand back 2,000 years later and we see the entire forest. We have the whole gospel. Simeon's confidence was in the Lord fulfilling his promise, what is our confidence in? You know, it's likely that Simeon died before Jesus even began his ministry. But his comfort, his confidence was in the fact that the Messiah had come. Here's my point. Brothers and sisters, we don't need something extra to bolster our confidence in the Lord's promises. We don't need the physical revelation of God's presence that Simeon was given. We don't need God to speak to us in tangible and audible ways. Let me say that again, friends. We don't need the voice of God to be confident in the Lord because God's voice has already spoken to us through his word. 
We don't need the miracles of the New Testament in our day because we have all the evidence that the promises God made were kept right here in the scriptures, right here in his word. We can be confident in what God has said and in the ways he has spoken to us through his word. We can be confident that in the manifold wisdom of God, God has given us everything that we need to know right here. Right here in his word, in his scriptures, we can be confident. And we must seek to ground our confidence in God because he keeps his promises. The promises made have been promises kept. Well, Simeon praises God fulfilling his promise. His confidence is in the promise-keeping God. And now the rest of his praise is going to take a turn. Verse, verse 29, Simeon is, is talking about how God has kept his promises to him. But verses 30 through 32, Simeon is going to turn his attention and he's going to praise God for what God is going to do. It moves from an I in verse 29 to a U in verses 30 through 32. And it begins first in verse 30 with the Lord's salvation. Look again at verse 30. Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Well, you've, you've likely heard the phrase, you have to see it to believe it. Quite literally, Simeon saw it and believed it. And, it, and it's easy <clears throat> right here to just keep on going. Of course, Simeon saw the Lord's salvation in the baby Jesus. Of course, he believed it. But don't you think there's just the possibility that when God said he was going to reveal the Messiah to him, that Simeon was going to see something more? Maybe something more developed? Maybe, maybe the full consolation of Israel? We're not told, but there's a chance. In verse, 30, Simeon pro- in verse 29, verse, Simeon proclaims he can die in peace because he's seen the Lord's salvation. What did Simeon understand in that moment that Israel didn't see even when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry, performing many miracles. And what does Simeon understand that's even difficult for you and I to understand? Here's what Simeon understood. Simeon understood that God's plan of salvation was not only a plan. It was not only a work to be enacted. Simeon understand, understood it was a person. So even though Jesus hasn't completed any of the work of his ministry, he hasn't done any of the work of of dying for us, of following the law, in the person of Jesus is our salvation. As Simeon sits there holding the Messiah, he is holding the salvation that has come from the Lord into the world. And what Luke here is doing, he's doing something very intentional. Luke is recording the first response to the person of Jesus in his gospel. Simeon is directly interacting with the Lord, and he is responding in praise. And he uses this word for salvation that that is not as common in the New Testament. We see it only four times. One other time is actually at the end of Acts, the other book that Luke wrote. In Acts 28, 28, Paul says, there, to the Jews, he says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. See, at the end of Luke's two-volume account, what, 
what he shows us is that Paul is testifying to the Lord's salvation. He opens with Simeon proclaiming that salvation has come, and he ends with proclaiming that salvation has come, and it is going forth. Why would Luke do this? What secret message does he want us to decode? I think what Luke is showing us is that God's salvation is is multifaceted. It's not, not just about the work of Christ. It's also about Jesus himself. It's about the person of Christ. And and that God's salvation is really the through line that we see going through Luke in the book of Acts. So as we read the book of Luke and as we read the book of Acts, what we're reading about is the Lord's salvation, that it has come and it is going forward. If you're a kid in the congregation this morning, I want you to listen up. See, Jesus was a kid just like you. He was young And he grew up to become the savior of the world. And what I wonder, kids, is do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus, the one that we're waiting for, the the anticipatory time of this season, that Jesus is the one who came and died for you? Do you want to follow Jesus and obey him? Well, you can ask God for the strength to believe in Jesus and to follow him. So the best Christmas present for this year is Jesus, that he came into this world to die also for you. And if you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, I wonder if your eyes have been opened to see Jesus as your Savior. See, maybe you've heard this story before, and, and, and there's a sense in which you actually believe it's possibly true, but you find that your heart resists Jesus. You resist this truth, this reality. I wonder, friend, what's holding you back today? What's holding you back from believing in Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior who came to die for you? What's preventing you from seeing that God has completely revealed himself in history and that this salvation is for you too, if only you believe? Well, like I said, as we read the book of Luke and Acts, we're reading about the Lord's salvation. And and if you need some fuel for this upcoming year, uh, for reading the Bible, here's your fuel. Take our fuel from Simeon, that knowing our salvation is so much more, but in no way less than knowing that Jesus died for us. Knowing our salvation cannot be separated from knowing the one who accomplished it. So as we pick up our Bibles this week, and as we prepare to try and read through the Bible again in the coming calendar year, we're picking it up to remember and to know the God who saved us. We're picking it up to know the Savior who humbled himself and came into this world for us. And if you want to to join me, I'm going to be working through the the McShane reading plan. And if you're familiar with that, it's uh, this upcoming calendar year, it, it takes you through the New Testament twice takes you through Psalms twice, and it takes you through the Old Testament once. If that sounds like a lot, you, you can just do half of it uh, and do the plan in two years. But if you want to join me, uh, let me know. I'd love to be reading the Bible together and, and trying to, to know Jesus more. Well, brothers and sisters, Simeon saw God's salvation in the person of Christ. But this would not only be for the people of Israel. What Simeon proclaims is that Jesus will be a light and glory for all nations. And we want to consider that with our final point, light and glory. Look at verses 31 and 32. We'll start back in verse 30. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As we said earlier, Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And and we see later that Anna is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both are waiting for what God is going to do for his people. And Simeon comes in and says that this is what the consolation of Israel is going to look like. It's going to bring in the Gentiles. And in verse 32, Simeon is but quoting from Isaiah 49, verse 6. Let me read that for us. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Speaking of the the servant to come, which we realize is Jesus, Isaiah writes this. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, God's plan for salvation was no longer limited to Israel, but was now to be revealed to the whole world. This is what Simeon means when he says that salvation being prepared for the nations is a light to the Gentiles. Because prior to to Jesus, those who were not Jewish always lived in darkness. So all, all of us in this room who are Gentiles, which is probably the majority of us, were living in darkness. In Israel, they didn't want them to know. They didn't want them to know this message. That's why, that's why Jonah runs. Jonah doesn't run because he's afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah runs because he's actually afraid God's going to save them, and he hates them. He doesn't want to see them saved. He doesn't want the Gentiles being brought in. See, God had told Israel, you were to be a beacon and a light shining in the midst of a dark world. What Simeon is declaring is now the Gentiles are being brought in. And now the Gentiles and the Jews are going to be a light of revelation to the world that's living in darkness. No longer would that light be limited to a nation, but it would be entrusted to a people. This is what Paul is saying when he says in Ephesians 3, 6, that this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Christ, with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. The one body Paul speaks of is what we see here today. It's it's his church. And what the light of revelation to the Gentiles was going to do was it was going to actually redound to the glory of Israel. Because through Israel, God was bringing his salvation. A salvation that was first promised to Abraham, that, that God, when he promised to Abraham, I will make you a nation. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan to bless all the nations of the earth is realized in Jesus. And God's plan to provide a light for people, for all people, it's our impetus for being a church that prioritizes that same thing. See, because God said, I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles that's going to go out to all nations, this is why we want to be a people who prioritize seeing the gospel go out from among us. This is why we want to prioritize missions, both local and global. And and it's why Bethany has such a history of raising up and and planting many churches in this area. Many of the the North American Baptist churches in this area were planted by Bethany and of sending out missionaries to the ends of the earth. And we want to continue to foster a heart for raising up, sending, and supporting missions, both local and global, because God's heart 
is a missionary heart. It's a missions-focused heart. We want to have that same desire. So Simeon proclaims that, that Jesus is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for people Israel. But what Simeon goes on to say after he, he finishes his song in, in the next few verses is that Jesus' arrival would not be smooth. He would not be welcomed. Simeon turns from praising God and speaks to Mary. Look with me at verses 34 and 35. This is what Simeon says. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus is the great disruptor. At his coming comes glory and praise on one hand and division and dissension on the other one. At his coming, the hearts of all people are revealed. Friend, you cannot avoid dealing with Jesus, whether you believe in him or not. Everyone has to make a decision about Jesus. And Bethany, I wonder, what has Jesus revealed about our hearts together? Jesus died to be a light to the nations, to gather a people for himself. How are we doing at being a people reflecting the light of God's salvation in our life? I wonder how you're doing at opening your heart to each other, at allowing other people to know you, at opening your heart to the Lord. You know, thinking, if if you have any thought that you can hide your thoughts from him, the Bible is very clear that we cannot. What are we doing as a church to be a people who are living out the salvation with one another, who are encouraging one another to live and to walk in the light with each other? Well, friend, if you're here, and again, you're not a Christian, here is what I want you to know from the passages of Scripture we've been reading this morning, especially verses 31 and 32. What these words say is that God has made a way for you to know him. Salvation has come into the, into the earth to be a light, to light up our path. And if we follow the light of Jesus, where that light will take us is to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus bore our sins. He died in our place so that we could know him, so that the darkness that we walk in can be exposed by the light of his salvation. And though even, even though Jesus died on that cross and was placed in a tomb of darkness, The light shone through and Jesus rose from the dead. If this is something that you want to talk about more, I'd be happy to do that. Please come and find me after the service. Let's set up a time to talk about Jesus and about your relationship with him. Friends, we can be confident in this Savior. We can have the confidence of Simeon because what Simeon saw is what the scriptures revealed to us is that God's promises that he would send a Savior to the world have been kept They have been kept in Jesus. And and, and though our lives come apart at the seams, though everything we have hoped for begins to fail, we can remember that with the coming of Jesus, we can put all of our confidence and all of our hope in him. He is a light to the Gentiles, to the glory of all peoples, to the glory of his church. So friend, here's my question for you that I want you to consider as we close our service. Where or who is your confidence in? Let's pray.
Jesus, you have come. You came to be a light to the nations. That the gospel would go forth and that the church would expand across the whole world. And praise God, that is what we see. We see the gospel going forward. We see the church growing and expanding and building. And Lord, we see you building and making a people for yourself. God, let us live in light of the salvation that you have accomplished on our behalf. Let us live knowing that the hope that we have and the confidence that we have in this world is not in anything or anyone, but it's in you. It's in Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.